Hi, this is Gina Pangalangan. And I'm Jordan McMahon. This is Education Outside the Lines, a podcast where we are having very real conversations on education and parenting with Gina, a mom and educator with a unique philosophy. Hey guys, we are back with Education Outside the Lines. Today we are going to be discussing 21st century learning, which is the approach that Sunday Academy, the school that Gina Pangalangan, sitting here with me, has uh, founded and is currently the principal of. And she adopted the approach of 21st century learning um, because it really is what's best for kids. Um, she has done a lot of research. She's, she's an educator, a, a trained educator, um, and also has done a lot of research on neuroscience and why it's very important to be intentional when it comes to preparing our kids for today's world. But as we, before we discuss really what the 21st century classroom looks like and what 21st century learning is, it's important to go back and discuss the difference between 21st century learning and 20th century learning and why we even have to have a discussion around 21st century learning when it seems like, isn't it obvious, that's that must be what education is about today. It must be we are in the 21st right, century, right? We are in the 21st <laughs> century. So isn't that what schools are already doing? Well, the sad reality is that no, um, most schools hasn't adopted the concepts of 21st century learning and um, a 21st century classroom isn't really seen in most schools today unless it's um, unless it's very intentional uh, but in our education system as it stands it is not a part of that day-to-day uh, -day learning so so first of all Gina I want to know I want you to talk to our audience about the difference between 21st century learning and 20th century learning well, I, I think back to the to the um, the days of the one room schoolhouse and the the days that kids were leaving their homes and going off to school over you know a hundred years ago. It was like let's get them in these schools and educate them as quick as we can and get them out to the factories or back to the farm or back to the family to do work. The intention was great. Mm -hmm. We have one teacher. We have you know twenty some kids. Let's get them in there educate them. And, and what we knew then was standing in front of the class and get the teacher having all the information mm -hmm. and spilling it out to the kids and the kids hopefully learning it, regurgitating it. And then the learning was done. Well, that worked for a little while. And, but we do know a lot of the kids fell between the cracks. A lot of the kids went on to have special needs or needing special services because what we do know is not everybody learns that way best, mm -hmm. but it was a quick way to get them in and get them out. Mm -hmm. um, so then, you know, that, that mentality just grew and grew. And then we came up with a bell system. We came up with these units of credits that everybody needed to learn um, before they left high school. And we deemed that was what was needed. Well, times have changed mm -hmm. and schools haven't. Like if you think about it, Jordan, our, our doctor's offices have changed, our hospitals, the way everybody does business has changed. Mm -hmm. But the one thing that stayed pretty stuck in time is the 
traditional classroom and the traditional schools. And you did mention there's some pockets of greatness out there and some teachers that are really trying to, to put these things into practice, but the big public school system hasn't really changed. And, and our t- teachers' hands are tied, especially the high school teachers. They, you know, they still need a unit of this or a credit of this, a credit of that. How can we do these non-traditional teaching methods when we still have to give them that, that credit? And we only have 45 minutes before the bell goes off, you know, and so kids are marched from class to class and and uh, go in, listen to a teacher lecture, leave that class, go into another teacher lecture, leave that class, take a test, and we think that they know that information. Mm-hmm. Well, our research is telling us that, that they forget it most of the time. Kids that get A's on things, um, there's been a lot of studies done that they'll ask them the same information three months later, and they won't know it. They won't remember it. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and of course, the biggest thing change. I, I mean, I think I could ramble on about this topic forever, but mm-hmm. the other big change is the internet came along, right? I mean, we all have access to the internet now, mm-hmm. and that's changed what we have to memorize and what we don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but it also came. It also um, gave us a lot of more, more data, more statistics. It, it really changed in the field of neuroscience. Mm-hmm. We can now scan a brain and see what's going on. Mm-hmm. We didn't know that before, so we did the best we could way back when. But right. we know more now. We need to change. We need to take that information we know about learning and neuroscience in the brain and adapt it into fit into our classrooms. Right. So if, if we still have a, a free, appropriate education system that's saying get kids in classrooms, educate them, it's our job as a teacher to do that, get them out for this world, well, first of all, we need to prepare them for the world they're going out to, mm-hmm. but we need to use our, our research and our knowledge about learning and change our classrooms to look differently. Mm-hmm. I can kind of see the difference between um, the 21st century needs, which are which we're much more aware of, right, than what the... 20th than in the 20th century especially early 20th century and you know 19th century we didn't know what we didn't, we didn't know, know we didn't know yeah, and didn't. and the needs like you said yeah. the needs were different mm-hmm. we were preparing our kids for a different time mm-hmm. and we knew we knew less about psychology and neuroscience but go you know it's, we obviously know way more about that now and so we we understand more what a child's brain needs in development what a child's brain looks like in development um, and, and so that's a really important consideration, but specifically what were the values of the industrial age when it came to preparing a child for their career and what those career options were? And then tell us about what that classroom looked like to give us a picture of really how little things have changed. Well, the classroom looked like desks in a row and a teacher standing in front of the class writing information on a chalkboard, possibly. Um, which, giving instructions. Giving instructions. Mm-hmm. Kids writing things down, maybe taking some notes, taking a test. We, we, mm-hmm. we you know, did have tests back then. We don't have the, the, the standardized testing that we have now on a computer, mm-hmm. but um, they had to learn all the information they knew and get it from the teacher. She mm-hmm. held the, the key to the information. Mm-hmm. And and we didn't have the internet. We didn't have we may have had some encyclopedias and things to look through, but for the most part it was direct instruction all day long mm-hmm. given to the kids. Then they left and hopefully they retained it. Mm-hmm. Well then we started learning about memory. Why are some kids retaining things and some kids aren't? Mm-hmm. Um, so why is it sticking in their long term memory? And is it sticking in their long term memory? Is mm-hmm. it just or just in their short term memory for the mm-hmm. test? Mm-hmm. But then they were going out to do jobs where they were told what to do, what that job was supposed to be, such as a factory. Mm-hmm. They didn't have to really think critically. They didn't have to really think outside the box. They, they needed right. to learn how to put the things in the box for the factory. Yeah. 
that makes me think of this concept I hear you talk a lot about um, the difference between inauthentic learning and authentic learning. Inauthentic learning is um, basically only using one part of the brain in order to take in information, um, facts and figures, and then be able to uh, memorize that information. So you're really just taking it in, memorizing it, and then regurgitating it on a test. But you're not experiencing it with your whole body. It's inauthentic and in that it could go out of your brain the very next day, mm -hmm. which you see happen all the time. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I may have learned uh, uh, that this war happened in this date and these very specific things happened in these very specific dates. I don't remember that today. It went out of my brain. I may have memorized it at one time. Now, if you love that topic, it might stick in your brain more because mm -hmm. you love it. It was mm -hmm. important to you. Mm -hmm. So maybe, you know, the, those people out there that are historians, they're going to remember those facts because they love it. It meant something to them. It was authentic to them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so then uh, in, in that way, it's it's not only important to engage we'll talk about first before we get into unique passions and the different ways that we learn um which is really important when when you consider education and the way a child takes in information because it's very different from the other child in the room right and so that's another important component of 21st century learning but talk about what authentic learning looks like and why it's so important and and in today's world because the jobs of the future we may not even know what they are now do you know that mm -hmm. I think they're the jobs in 2012 that were popular weren't even created in 2002 so mm -hmm. 10 years span the job market is different mm -hmm. so the kids have to be able to think critically and be creative mm -hmm. and be good communicators those are the skills that are important for them so mm -hmm. the learning and the instruction needs to change for those mm -hmm. reasons mm -hmm. it needs to be more collaborative it needs when I think about authentic learning just in life experience even things that I experience today as an adult where I'm not even really consciously aware that I'm going into a situation where I'm going to be learning something. When I think about the things that stick with me and that I'm like, oh, I know that backwards and forwards. I was passionate about it in the first place. But it definitely involves the fact that that information came to me through the unique way that I learned and that I had to do something about it, that I had to um, recreate that concept in my own mind and then flush it out um, or, you know, um, sort of present my knowledge in a way that involved way more areas of my brain than just memorization and write it back down. Well, that's because we all have different learning styles. Mm -hmm. I, I definitely am a believer in multiple intelligences. And you'll hear me talk about that. I think smarts can be shown in different ways. Mm -hmm. um, but the kids that can, can take in information easily through reading it or listening to a lecture and regurgitating it back, are those kids that learn linguistically well through mm -hmm. language or logically? Mm -hmm. So those math kids. So our traditional classrooms are set up for those two learning styles mainly. Mm -hmm. Everybody else tries to follow suit, but then we take the information home maybe and do something kinesthetically for mm -hmm. a kinesthetic learner so that it sticks in our in our long-term memory. You, you were just talking about the way that you would take the information mm -hmm. and try to learn it. it might be different. So 
our classrooms need to allow for all those different learning styles to take in that information. However, it's, present, it's presented to them in different ways. And then for kids to understand, it's okay to learn in different ways. And here is the way you learn best. So this is how you should study for something if it, if it has to be regurgitated back in a traditional way. Um, so, so you to get it to stick in their, their long-term memory. Right, right. So the point is not that you completely throw out textbooks or that you completely throw out lecture, but that you don't come only rely on those things. Because right. now kids need to be able to... Now we know more about the brain, so we know that there are all these different ways that kids take in information. And depending on the unique way that they learn and their passions, you know, mm-hmm. and that their passions should be identified and considered when you are trying to help this child learn in the way that they need to learn and present the information the best way that they can. Yes, know? yes. Um, and that when they show an interest in something, it's monumentally important that we value that and that we allow them to do the research, to get their hands dirty within that topic, Mm -hmm. because that will ignite learning in all areas if they know that when uh, they get excited about something, it's valued, Mm -hmm. I think, you know, Mm -hmm. because I feel feel that when I get excited about something and I get an opportunity to learn more and more and more about it, and then present it in a way that seems to help people or um, that, that makes me feel a little bit, you know, accomplished or like I gave something to the world, then it makes me want to go, okay, well, what about this over here? I want to learn about that. And what about this over here? I want to learn about that because what if that's something that could really light that fire again? And I think, so I think that considering a child's passions is in, is incredibly important. And we don't, we don't always do that, mm-hmm. you know. We don't always look and see, oh, that kid's been playing with rocks for, like, the last 20 minutes. Perhaps they have an interest in, you know, geology or mm-hmm. something like that. And we should encourage that and, and instead of saying, like, put down the rocks, get in line, you know, it's time for whatever. Yeah. Um, it's time for that subject that has to be taught that right, has to, right. for the accountability measures. And, you know... <laughs> Gosh, if, if there was no limits to what we could do and we didn't have these our hands being tied in the, in the schools for the traditional things that have to be taught or that somebody deemed were appropriate to be taught 100 years ago and still are being taught today, we could set up these classrooms with, that would be like that, mm-hmm. um, where the kids have some voice and choice, where they can um, learn in their own learning style. Maybe it would be a, a class or a building that had different collaborative studios for different things. Mm-hmm. There probably would be a lecture hall, too, to give mm-hmm. kids that information, but those kids probably would sign up for that lecture and that class to be able to learn what they wanted to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they would have collaborative studios where they go and collaborate. They'd have um, studios where they build and design things. You know, I mean, if, if money was no limit and, again, the, the, that our hands weren't tied with the accountability measures and the testing and everything that's out there, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I can dream big, can't I, and mm-hmm. think about how it could be. Right. Which makes me think about, you know, America is supposed to be the country where, you know, the a country where capitalism and it's the American dream, right? We're allowed to dream. We're allowed to have all this. And if that's not starting in the educational system, though, if that's not being reinforced and encouraged in the educational system, then, you know, should it even be held up as an American value, you know? Oh, well, I now that that's another topic yeah. for a different podcast, Jordan. <laughs> I, I think that it's, it's important for kids to understand that, if, if we're telling them that this is, you know, that, that America is a country of endless opportunity, 
then they need to feel and experience that by being given lots of choice and autonomy. Yeah, and I think a teacher now that that's feeling a little bit in a rut that, that they have to teach, you know, what they what they've been told to teach this objective at this time, and it doesn't account for who's already mastered that objective or who needs to know that. Um, I think at least they can try to give kids the impression and the feeling that they're going to be lifelong learners. It's not about just learning this social studies topic right now for these 45 minutes you're with me, but learning how to learn and love to learn because they're going to be lifelong learners and they can learn anything they they want. Um, you know, give give kids a computer and they can research and, and figure things out on YouTube. I mean, that's how I want to fix my my washing machine, I'm going to look on YouTube for that. So it never ends. We want, we definitely want to instill that. At the same time, we have to be accountable to our district or our state or our government telling us which things we have to be teaching right now. Right. How is this personal to you? What, Where have you experienced an aha moment with a child either switching from a 20th century learning approach to a 21st century learning approach or being able to see this difference firsthand? Well, I think when it goes back to my teaching days, when I first started my career, I was in special education and I was working with kids with learning disabilities. Now that doesn't mean they were low functioning, low IQ. That means they had a, there was a gap between their achievement and their ability. Well, it was my job as the teacher to find out what way they learned best. Mm -hmm. And there were 16 kids in my class, three different grade levels all different types of learning disabilities. It could have been a disability in writing. It could have been a disability in math. Mm -hmm. And then you say they have multiple intelligence too. They have different styles of learning. So for me, in that, at that time, I had to set up my classroom in different stations. And I had a little teacher table I would call them over to at different times. You probably never saw me teaching large group because everybody had different needs. Mm -hmm. Um, so I could allow for some kids to stay in a center longer than other kids. I could allow to give one child an assignment that I didn't give another child. That's now what we call it differentiated education, but I've been doing it for years in my days. So when I first started the Sunday Academy, it was called uh, Minds in Motion back then, the idea was that even with kids without learning disabilities that haven't been identified yet or maybe learned learn traditionally, mm -hmm. if we could set up our classrooms with all these little pockets of centers and stations mm -hmm. and still have a, a direct teaching time with the teacher, but it might be in a small group, that would be the way to do it. And then I saw, you know, these kids finally are learning for the first time mm -hmm. and they're enjoying it because it was presented to them a way, in a way that they understood. Mm -hmm. But there are so many kids in a traditional classroom, the teacher's standing up there talking and they're like, what is she talking about or he what is going on I don't get it boy I wish I could answer ask a question maybe I should stay after school and try to have the teacher explain it to me again but I don't want to because I have sports and I have this and I have that yeah. but you know there are so many kids sitting out there that aren't getting it because it's not being presented to them in the way that they learn best when I think about a child's brain it just brings up um, this this feeling of what great potential for and, and it's almost like, um, well, you talk and you've discussed this with the kids a lot, the whole fill your bucket, you know, and fill somebody else's bucket. And I think about this bucket that you could fill with all of these opportunities, with all of this, with all of these tools. You well, know? you know what? The, the best thing I've learned over the past 20 years, and it's because of the technology boom and, and neuroscience is that our our brains aren't fixed, our IQs aren't fixed. We used to believe that in special education and edu education altogether. So 
if we give them lots of enrichment, they can make more connections in their brain. I mean, in, a, in layman's term, the brain can keep growing. But if we keep it stagnant and boring and um, you know, not engaging to them, they won't make those connections. So we could actually fill their brain with more enrichment, with more opportunities, and then they learn more. So it's, there was some studies done years ago that I found fascinating. This was before I knew that the IQ wasn't fixed, but it, there were some studies that were starting to say that kids that are gifted with high IQs, if they're in a boring traditional environment and they're not being stimulated, their IQs can actually go down. So I was like, wow, I guess our IQs aren't fixed if they can, right, you know, lose right. some IQ points. Oh, sure. But think about what we could fill if we could enrich those kids' lives with things that are meaningful to them or presented in, in multiple different ways that really motivate them and that, that that's easy. It, it could come easily to them. So if they're a musical learner and we sing songs about the states and capitals mm-hmm. and they pick it up, they're going to learn it so much quicker. Mm-hmm. So what do we have to do as a teacher? We have to add that musical element because there's some musical learners in your in your classroom. Right, right. I think it makes it more interesting for the teacher too, for the teacher to be aware of her own strengths or his own strengths and to lean into that a little bit. But if a teacher doesn't even realize that they have some sort of autonomy, you know, that they don't have to do everything that they're told, that they can say, I think that this is best for this student, or I can feel in my classroom this would be the best thing to do at this moment, or I want to spend a little bit longer on this, even though my schedule says I'm supposed to get... Sometimes we're such uh, creatures of just being told what to do. Well, a lot of teachers are. I'm sorry Mm -hmm. to say that I have colleagues um, out in other places that are told exactly what to do. Mm -hmm. The teacher's manual tells them what to say. They can't even think for themselves. Their principal's going to walk in and say, where's your objective today? I want to make sure that's what you're teaching that I see when I walk in. There's teachers that will be written up because their classrooms are too messy because they're doing creative things. Mm. So, <laughs> okay, that'll mess me cry saying that out loud. Something about kids getting messy makes me extraordinarily happy. So I can't even imagine that liberty being taken away from me if I am trying to help kids understand the value of creativity and trying and learning and failing and trying again I mean those those things that's that's when you can just you can almost see the brain work you know you can almost see the brain just churn and develop in those moments Mm -hmm. so it, it makes me so sad to think about that being taken away from students and from teachers because when teachers can see those little minds working and taking in things and trying things out I think that it really enhances the passion for teaching, mm-hmm. which don't we want teachers also that are happy and passionate in their job? Oh, yes. And we don't want kids being around an individual six hours a day, an adult, a model for them that seems miserable. Mm-hmm. Like well, that's it is miserable when you say I presented is. it to the kids and they still don't get it. Right. You right. know, I'm frustrated as a teacher because I, I did teach this. I promise I taught it. And they're not they're not doing well on the test when they're right, tested. Right. Well, that's because we presented it in a way maybe they didn't learn best. And then we're mm-hmm. testing in ways that not everybody tests well sure. that way. Yeah. Could we test them in a different way? But we can't because our system is set up mm-hmm. this one way and this one way only. So one last story before we go, just to add a little humor to this discussion. But I taught a class here about... Um, five or six years ago called Integrated Arts, where mm-hmm. I took basically all the different subjects, and it was for mi- the middle school students. I took all the different subjects, and I tried to 
integrate a lot of those concepts into some sort of art form that we could present at assembly and it was a wonderful class i loved teaching it it was it was the ultimate 21st century learning approach you know Mm -hmm. and uh there were there were two individuals in my class two girls who were just goofy as all get out for whatever reason by the time they got to my class they were they were extraordinarily goofy and could barely focus or you know and and of course there was some need for some discipline in that scenario and some you know kind of behavioral management that I had to talk them through but what I ended up doing was kind of going you know what honestly these two have such a gift for understanding what's funny and such a gift for uh, um, imitating behavior. Like that's what they were doing a lot was imitating their classmates and they really thought it was funny. And so instead I made sure that I addressed, you know, the character trait of listening and respect and all of those things. But I also decided to go ahead and allow them the opportunity to imitate you and our vice principal <laughs> in the presentation that we were giving. And not in a disrespectful way, but in a way that actually honored you guys, but also valued the way that they learned, which was often through some sort of very extravagant imitation, humor, fun, enthusiasm. I mean, that was just the way these girls took in information. And I feel like in that moment, and when they got to take that to the stage and show that to the rest of the students, it definitely built a confidence for them. And it also showed, um, I think to the rest of the school, that, that the unique way that these girls are made up is something that's valued here. Mm-hmm. And so it created a sense of safety at this school that they're valued and they're seen as valuable, not just for sitting and listening and not just for a grade and not just for, you know, the traditional sense of proving themselves academically, but also for this really sweet, wonderful thing that usually would just be taken outside of schools and outside of classrooms, the social element, you know, that that was just as important. And, um, I'll never forget that. And I remember thinking, okay, okay, I think I think I might have done a good thing today as a teacher, you know? And you're always, like, looking for those moments. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, well, the, the good news is I think there's some people out there that would be, uh, oh, that's not that important for kids. We didn't have fun when I was in school, and I still learned. Mm-hmm. And, and who, you know, their, their happiness isn't that important. Or, we're, you know, we're, we're, we're too flowery here, too worried about their feelings well guess what people the neuroscience says again Mm -hmm. that when kids feel happy and safe and valued they will learn more Mm -hmm. so it's not just we want a fun place that kids feel valued because we think it's important and randomly it's because we want them to learn more and when they feel that feeling of contentment and safety their minds are going to open up and we're going to be able to flood that those minds with other things too and one more thing about one of those students who was in sixth grade at the time i just learned as a junior in high school first time taking the act got a 31 on her act so that, I believe, proves absolutely there's not any direct correlation between her humorous imitation of principal in sixth grade and that score. But I definitely feel like what she has learned is that she gets an opportunity to learn the unique way that she can. Mm-hmm. And, and that sort of cushion has been taken from subject to subject to subject. And it, that cushion has just absorbed 
a mm-hmm. lot of knowledge yeah. um, because she's obviously been able to prove herself in the traditional way as well. Mm-hmm. So Hey, I do want to say something to some of our listeners because we're talking about what, what our school looks like or what we think the perfect school should be. Because we are an independent school, there are some things that we can do because we're tuition-based. Right, right. So um, I'm not trying to say teachers that are out there that aren't doing these things are bad or, I mean, I feel their pain. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have 16 kids in a class, so it's much easier to get to know those kids, know who learns this way, who sure. learns that way. Mm-hmm. The teachers out there that have 30 kids in a class, wow, that's it's really tough. Mm-hmm. It really is, and I'm not saying it's not. And I think everybody wishes they could probably be doing what we do, mm-hmm. um, and I, I wish that too. I mean, that is definitely my dream that all schools operate like this. But I, I guess I just wanted to say that because I think if I can hear one of my friends right now that teaches in another system, oh, yeah, Gina, well, if I could do what you do, I would have more success with my kids. Sure, sure. But I can't. My hands are tied. Mm-hmm. So I just wanted to recognize that, that we're able to do those things mm-hmm. because of mm-hmm. being an independent school. Mm-hmm. Well, if nothing else, obviously what we've learned is that the educational system presents some challenges and some questions. It really brings up questions for parents and, and for teachers as we try to prepare children for the future. And I think it just it, it brings up some important questions and thoughts to consider, mm-hmm. um, whether you're a teacher or a parent. Um, and so we, we definitely want to encourage all of our listeners to t- tune in to part two of this episode to learn more about the 21st century classroom and specifically what that looks like, what the values are, what we're doing, and how it presents much better opportunities for children in today's world. So thank you guys for listening. Gina, do you have any last words? Um, No, I just think we just, we can't meet the future by doing what we did in the past. Mm -hmm. Things have to change. Absolutely. Thanks, you guys. Thanks for listening to Education Outside the Lines. Please rate and subscribe to this podcast if you are enjoying it. That helps us out a lot. You can email us with questions and comments at educationoutsidethelines at gmail.com. If you are interested in hearing more of what Gina has to say, she is on Instagram and Facebook. You can also follow her blog at heartofamustangblog.com. To hear more about her unique philosophy, her personal story, and how she started the Sunday Academy.